Good evening, intrepid listeners, and thank you for downloading this episode of Midnight Marinera. This is, in fact, a bonus episode and the first of a two-part episode that will be released between this podcast and the Undercooked Analysis podcast feed. This is a recording of our live performance we did at Midsummer Scream a little earlier this year. Uh, this features myself, Kayla, Alan, Sade, Abysme Paprika, and Matt Hawley, who all got together to put this show on. We did three short pseudo-audio dramas and a couple of blind reads. What you're going to hear in this part are those audio dramas that we did. And if you want to hear the other half, where we recorded some stories blind, a la Undercooked Analysis, you will need to go to Undercooked Analysis's feed to hear that part of it. You can find that on creativehorror.com slash UCA. Or you can find it on iTunes under UCA if you're not already subscribed to or Undercooked Analysis, if you're not already subscribed to that podcast. Uh, beyond that, if you want to see us actually perform, the entire panel as a video will be uploaded to the Midnight Marinera YouTube page. So you can watch the whole thing unbroken there. While I'm at it, I also want to extend my thanks to Lisa Tom for the uh, both the audio and video recording, and Zach Sokol for uh, at least attempting to do the audio recording. Sorry, Zach, I, I, it didn't work out, but the, luckily we had an audio backup for that, so thank you. I also want to extend a thanks to Ben Dicko for being an excellent MC for this and for making us feel so welcome at the Midsummer Scream convention. You rock, Ben. All right, without further ado, let's do this. <laughs> today. Welcome to Midsummer Stream 2018. Thank you for being here. How many of you have been here since we opened today? All right. How many of you just got here and are like, hey, I'll check out a Halloween convention. All right. That's great. How many of you came all the way from Maryland to see this? Right there in the Well, thank you guys. This is the final performance of the Theater Macabre for the day, but we're going to have performances tomorrow. Um, this is really exciting. Uh, I've got to know these guys, actually, even though I have no connection to them whatsoever. Um, and they're super nice, for one thing, super talented. And, uh, and we've seen the crowds grow every year, and now it's capacity crowd, so give yourselves a round of applause. Besides the East Coast, who else is a fan of uh, Midnight Marinara? If you're not now, at 7 o'clock when this panel is done, you will all be fans of these guys. So give it up for Midnight Marinara! Good evening, intrepid listeners, and welcome to Midnight Marinara. Have you ever tried to prove a point to someone with a recording, say, your spouse talks in their sleep? Your brother snores, and they never, there you go, they never believe you. They always say, prove it. So you say, okay, I'm going to set a tape up. I'm going to record this. I'm going to prove it to you once and for all. What we're about to present to you right now is one of those tapes with a very uh, interesting change to it.
actually established. Get actually established. Are you there? Yes, seems like a strong signal tonight. Let's see how long that lasts. They've almost got the kinks worked out. They've almost had the kinks worked out for months now. No, really. They say one or two more cycles and no more random disconnects. Right. Physical control is already in the mid. What? No, really. You just have to try. Could. Couldn't even twitch. Well, I said in a minute. Anyway, time's short, even if we don't get cut off. So, what's the situation? Well, first off, we worked out the exact staging for this sector. Nighttime, of course. What about law enforcement? We'll have them by then. Okay. And the military? No one's going to call them. Right. So, casualties? We're predicting one or two. Us, no more than half of them. It'll help that we can tell the difference, and they can't. Of course. Armaments? Half of them have weapons. We're shifting focus to acquiring those ones. We'll have gunmen. How soon will we be able to mobilize? Within 11 cycles. Really? That's ahead of schedule. Physical control will be? Total. This is excellent. If the programmers are actually on schedule. They will be, but we have another issue with our immediate unit. What's that? The genetic offshoots are starting to wonder. The little ones? Well, yeah, though they aren't as little anymore. Not the two oldest. It's been a while. How long? Just a while, right? It's not a one-to-one -one conversion, but yeah, stuff happens differently here. They're a little bit taller, not much, but they're independently mobile and capable of un identifying unusual patterns. And I think they've been listening. Can we just... You know, too, too little still. Well, really not much we can do now. Intermittent control, right? Well, I've been practicing, and I'm going to try to neutralize the larger one the first chance I get. Isn't that risky? Not too risky. Compromising position should be easy. I'm her mother, remember? Get action into <laughs> One or two more cycles, Mike. Get action into This was a story called Cycles, and it's credited to Laser Goose. And it wasn't actually that tricky to adapt in, all, in the end. There was just uh, something as simple as a conversation like that. It's, it's eerie, and that's the kind of stuff that you find with creepypasta a lot of the time. Um, I don't know if I'm always the one most qualified to talk about this, so I assembled a uh, expert panel of uh, act, professional actors and critics. Who I will introduce to you right now. They're my friends and associates from the Creative Horror Network, which uh, Midnight Marinara is a part of. Uh, so we'll go down the line here and I'll introduce you to your cast, starting with uh, up far end. Uh, this is, oh, I guess I'll do it myself. Oh, I'm Paprika. <laughs> uh, yes, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> what do you um, I work on uh, Reagan readers, and I occasionally appear on Undercooked Analysis, and we read stories. Excellent. <laughs> Moving along, we have... Uh, my name is Alan Cheney. Uh, I am the co-host of Undercooked Analysis. Uh, I 
write my own, own horror for the Ignis Pergamentum channel, and not to brag, but I'm related to Lon Chaney, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the Wolfman's anniversary this year, though, unfortunately. Damn it. <laughs> uh, next along the line, we have... My name is Jesse Reyes. I am the creator and host of the Witching Hour podcast. I also manage creativehorror.com. And I do a little bit of writing, a little bit of art, and anything else I can do. And the next we have... Hi, I'm Matt. I do voice work for a lot of David's shows. And that's really all I contribute at the moment. <laughs> You've been on an undercooked analysis or two. Oh yeah, I've been on a couple of those. You'll hear the term undercooked analysis brought up a lot, and we'll get to what that is in a little bit. It's an odd offshoot of Midnight Marinara, and we're going to ease into that as the evening goes on. Uh, hi, I'm Kayla Berry. I produce uh, both undercooked analysis and Midnight Marinara, but I've also written stories for Midnight Marinara, and occasionally will throw my voice into the ring as well. <laughs> Finally. Uh, my name, I go by Abysmi, A-B-Y-S-M-I-I. -I. I am a musician. I have made music for essentially every show on the Creative Horror Network. I also host Trick or Track, which is a music-based podcast about horror movies soundtracks. And I also contribute to Midnight Marinara and Undercooked Analysis as a critic. And finally, I am the other co-host of Raven Readers, which critiques sci-fi short horror stories that is a spin-off of Undercooked Analysis. Excellent. I want to thank you all for being here, first and foremost, and I guess I should introduce myself. My name is David King. I am the creator and producer of the Midnight Marinara and Undercooked Analysis podcast, and I recent addition to the uh, Creative Horror Network. So I want to thank you all for coming out and being part of the show, and I want to thank you all again for your being a part of this. So we're going to continue to move on and share some more eerie stories with you. Now, I get asked this a lot, and actually a bunch of us do, what is creepypasta? So I think that term gets used a lot in unusual ways. I think when a lot of people think creepypasta, just kind of generally, they think of sort of the icon characters that come around. For example, who here, show of hands, who here has heard of Slenderman? Quite a few of you, yeah. Interestingly enough, not technically a creepypasta character. It was originated somewhere else and kind of grabbed and, and became his own mythos by people who were writing it. Uh, another show of hands, who has heard of Jeff the Killer? <laughs> The less we have to talk about Jeff, the better. <laughs> um, and you could say Jeff is creepypasta. And yeah, it's a very loose genre when you think about it. But the way I like to think about it is it, come, it, it comes from the term copypasta initially, which were just short stories that were shared, usually shared anonymously, copy-pasted, and shared around the internet. Creepypasta is the, obviously, horror version of that. And those stories tend to be short, anecdotal, and sometimes personal. What we like to do on Midnight Marinara is take those stories and give them the gravitas I feel they need. But sometimes a story doesn't mean to have a bunch of voices or um, even a full roster of sound effects. Sometimes a story can be told just from a personal perspective. Some of the best creepypasta are short, anecdotal, and even subtle horror stories. And with it being Frankenstein's 200th anniversary, which has been kind of coming up around the convention, I wanted to share a story written <coughs> for a story written by a friend of the show, who could not be here with us tonight, um, that is titled Out of Character, and reading that for you will be Kayla. Personally, there's nothing in the world quite as unsettling as somebody acting extremely out of character. 
This is largely because of my sister, who suddenly went from, from uptight and perfectionist to lax and carefree in the weeks leading up to her suicide a few years ago. As you might expect, I, along with many others in the family, was cursing myself for not recognizing the most obvious symptom. Ever since then, I became hyper-attuned to people's behavior. Even if I'm just sitting on the couch with someone watching a movie, I may, for seemingly no reason, turn to them and ask, are you okay? Despite them doing nothing but sitting still and quietly watching the movie, it can get more than a little annoying, I'm sure, but at least I try to let them know where I'm coming from. That's why I was immediately worried when I went over to visit Joey and found him sitting in the kitchen reading. It doesn't sound weird to you, it's only because you don't know Joey. Joey is on the high-functioning end of the autism spectrum. Just a few years ago, he would have been diagnosed with Asperger's. I've known him since kindergarten, and by far, his most distinguishing personality trait is his obsession with building things. I still remember the first time visiting his house when I was five and seeing the amazing Technicolor skyline of Lego blocks assembled from the contents of two huge tubes. The five-year-old me was amazed that Joey's parents would indulge his antics to this extent. When I asked my parents why I always had to clean up before I could getting so invested in the things I built, they simply told me, you're not Joey and you're not his parents. Don't worry about him. There was a slow, gradual development in Joey's building obsession as he aged. He went from Lego to connects, then to model dinosaur skeletons, small airplanes, etc. It continued all the way up to when he graduated high school and went to trade school to learn about car engine mechanics. He's the sort of person who could assemble a working car engine from scratch if he was so inclined. As it is, he's usually satisfied with fixing the broken ones people brought into their garage. The, he, it, at the one he works at, the, the one on Adam Street next to the car wash, um, Bernie's, Bernie's, I think it's called. I went over to visit Joey because everyone was going to visit him sooner or later, and I personally preferred sooner. It had been about three weeks after the funeral. No one was thinking that he'd be okay by then, if he would ever be okay again. God, just thinking about it makes me sick. Every day since it happened, I think I found myself stopping and trying to fathom the sheer horror of what happened to his brother Victor. So I can only be imagine how bad it must be for Joey. I try my best to keep the actual picture out of my mind, but it keeps slipping through like something long and slimy sipping through your fingers. And every time the images appear in my head, I feel something heavy fall over my heart, like a firm hand gripping all the major arteries leading up to my brain. This little boy standing in the road the blaring horn of the RV falls soon, but you get the idea. I would have been very comforted if I found Joey sitting at the table, putting together a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, or fiddling with a birdhouse or something like that, probably playing classic rock in the black room. But instead, I found him sitting alone in the kitchen, with just enough light for him to see the words on the text and the pages on the front of him. He wouldn't even open the door for me, instruct me to enter. The house was so quiet that the deep thud of my boots against the tiled floor was practically deafening, as was the ruffling and shuffling of the wrinkles in my coat. When I joined him in the kitchen table, he didn't look up at me, and only mumbled a quiet, hey, at me when I took my seat. I sat across from him as the two seats beside him were covered with piles of books. I didn't want to ask him how he was doing because that was plain enough to see and nobody loves redundancy. When I took it upon myself to get a beer, I opened up the fridge to find fully stocked with unopened packages of food and containers of juice milk, some of which had already expired. I took my beer, but I couldn't bring myself to drink. Instead, looking at a pair of muddy boots sitting by the door to the garage, 
I had no clue what to say. Really, I just wanted to cry and reassure to him that everything would be all right in the end. But that just sounded hollow and callous in my mind. I jumped in my seat as soon as I heard someone in the boat. A loud thud on the second floor over the kitchen. Several of them, in fact. I wasn't the only one who was startled. Joey sat up straight and looked at the ceiling with wide eyes. After a few moments, he said to me, Sorry, I got a cat a few days ago. The shelter told me to keep her upstairs, away from people, and until she's adjusted to her new surroundings. She's old and sensitive. Some of his words shook slightly as he spoke. I nodded and said, I think that's a good idea. Before I could say anything else, he had already gone back into the book. Say, Joey, I began tentatively. Do you, do you want to go out, get something to eat, maybe see a movie? I don't think I should, he said, his eyes still fixated on the page. I'm just worried about um, uh, Sandy, my captain. I don't want to leave her alone. She, she's still adjusting. She's very sensitive. Uh-huh, I said, nodding. I was really hoping I'd be able to get him out of the house to keep him from isolating too much. But I suppose if he was really invested in the cat, that might not be too bad. A subtle and personal commitment to another living thing is usually a good sign in cases of depression. At the very least, it significantly reduces the odds that he'll commit suicide anytime soon. I said to him, okay, Joey, if you're sure, but, but just remember that I'm always here for you, and, and Sarah's always here for you, and Tommy and Kunal, and you know. I know, he said almost tediously. Is there anything I can do for you? I asked tentatively. From what I could tell, he did seem to at least consider this proposal. He even opened his mouth as to say something or ask something, but quickly closed again. No, I'm fine, thanks. I didn't really have anything else to say, but I stayed with him for a while. There are uncomfortable silences, and then there are just moments of silent understanding that pass between two people. But after a while, he said to me, you don't have to say if you don't want. I'll be fine on my own. Are you sure? I asked, doing my best not to sound like I wanted to, to leave him. Quite sure, thanks, he said, still not like that. I have a lot to keep me busy at the moment. I can see that, I said to him, nodding toward the books. Just want to make sure you're all right, that's all. I know, he said again, absentmindedly. As I was about to say, take care now, I heard more thuds from the cat upstairs. They were awkward, plodding, and didn't sound like sounds made by a creature with the agility. Sounds like one big cat, I said casually. She's old, he said, looking up at me, and clumsy. Well, take care now, I said simply, not knowing more what to say. Joey said nothing to me as I made my way noisily down the hall once more to the front door. He seemed distraught, but then I'd be more concerned if he didn't. All in all, I suppose he's fine, all things considered. He could very well be on the road to recovery in his own way. I mean, he's got autism, maybe that affects his grieving process, I thought to myself as I climbed up the front door. But that got me thinking more about Joey and what I knew about him. I had decades to learn, of course. I doubt I can remember everything. But at some point, I swear I remember someone, um, his mom, his sister, somebody, telling me that he's allergic to cats. <laughs> All right, thank you, Kayla. That was excellent. <laughs> so yeah, creepypastic can kind of run the gamut. You've got stories that are very personal, very subtle, like that one. It takes a little bit of listening to kind of figure out what the horror is in the, in the background, or maybe maybe not so much. Maybe you get the hang of it right off the bat. Um, either way, I think uh, 
it's all a matter of how it's done in the telling. Um, that being said, a lot of creepypasta gets kind of lost in the ridiculousness of tropes and building up icons and things like that. Um, and I kind of want to go down the I've got to go down the panel here and ask what you think maybe works or doesn't work for creepypasta. Kind of get a little discussion going here. So, like for example, um, what do you? Uh, let's, start, let's start with the Bisbee. Bisbee, what do you think defines creepypasta for you? Like, what is it? Is it um, I think any attempt for a story posted online, usually short, sometimes a serial, that is personable and relatable, even if the subject matter is maybe supernatural or fantastic, it's grounded in some sense of reality of a relatable fear. Anything that can communicate that to the reader, regardless of who they are, is a creepypasta. And it's something that you can easily share around to anyone else and link. That to me would probably be the best modern definition. Anything out of that, Kayla? I mean, what you said was made perfect sense to me. I mean, for me, I, I, I always thought of Creepypasta in the original sense a story that sounds realistic enough that you can share it on the internet and that people can read and be like, did this actually happen? Did it not happen? Are they, are they being honest? Or um, it could be, there's some stories that's like they sound almost insane, but then. You're like, well, maybe in their mind they're correct. Maybe that's what they believe. So, well, let me let me add, let me add this then. Why do certain really clunky, awkward, creepypasta tropes persist as they do? They almost to the point where they're cliches. Uh, I'd like another show of hands from the audience, if possible, for people who are familiar. Uh, who's familiar with the idea of a lost episode creepypasta or a haunted video game creepypasta? Different show of hands. All right, there's a few. Lost episode being the idea like, I found this bootleg tape, or this I found this weird file on the internet, and it's this episode of a show, usually nostalgic, that has a dark, twisted, creepy angle to it. Or a haunted video game, very same, except the game glitches out and has sonic bleeding from the eyes or something like that, you know? It relies on gore, and it relies on just things that are just, here's something cute or something innocent that has suddenly been corrupted, and it can be handled, usually handled poorly. David, I got a question for you then. What's that? Would you consider Jumanji a creepypasta? Ooh. <laughs> a game for those who seek to find a way to leave the world. You know, it could be. <laughs> Some of those definitions. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think, Matt? Is Jumanji a creepypasta? I think Jumanji could be a creepypasta because apparently the new one it takes the form of a video game. Oh, that's true. There's your haunted game right there, David. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, there's a mainstream example of a haunted game creepypasta. There you go. That being said, the rest of this is we're just going to watch Jumanji. Yeah. yeah. They have an extreme back here. That's that was deleted. <laughs> All right, so let me go. No. Uh, we got other stuff to do, actually. You don't wait. But, but going, continuing, continuing down the line, what do, what do you think? Uh, well, there's the, the basic, there's a basic uh, definition of, <coughs> of like, okay, this is creepy, you want to share it, copy paste it. I think a successful creepypasta needs to have like elements that reflect society or elements that readers can identify with that makes that want makes them want to share it and thus copy and paste it everywhere. So things like a haunted cartridge or a lost episode, like, oh, lost episode of Simpsons, well I fucking grew up going watching the Simpsons, I love it. <laughs> this is creepy. I wanna share it with everyone else I know who loves it. And that for me what defines creepypasta. I think it's a good definition. Um I think the best way to start a creepypasta in your head, uh, the, the, the words 
the words, they, I've never actually started a story with these words, but the words I always start a story with in my mind are, uh, so no kidding, there I was. Who here is familiar with uh, No Sleep? Anyone familiar with No Sleep? Show of hands. Yeah. So we, we, No Sleep is a good example of that. There are stories that are presented as real, and the kayfabe, to use a wrestling term, the kayfabe of the site is that you're supposed to like, kind of accept that the stories that are presented there are real. And they tend to suffer from what we call No Sleep Title Syndrome. You have a very, very long title that kind of explains what you're going to get into in the story. We have clickbaity titles like, uh, I went to a garage sale and bought a new sweater, and now I wish I hadn't. <laughs> Something along those lines. It's kind of what we're getting at. Um, and uh, Paprika, any? Yeah. Um, so I think the whole idea of having a site like creepypasta.com or No Sleep kind of defeats the purpose of a creepypasta entirely. Because if you're supposed to believe this is real, why would you find it on the site with a whole bunch of fictional stories? I can, I can agree there. Early on, some of the best like creepypasta stories, the ones that gained traction, you didn't go to a creepypasta site to find them. They were just randomly posted on 4chan or something. Right. And one of the best stories that Abysme and I ever read was actually a Twitter post. Yeah. And it was a stream of, it was a story told by this lady who had, what, she went to Vegas, I believe? Uh, Florida. Florida. And yes. she was out with her friend. And they had the night that they'll always remember where, you know, they met drug dealers and they got told they had to turn tricks. And the whole story, she, I believe she exaggerated the entire story because they looked into it afterwards. But how, but that is a creepypasta right there. There's kind of a, there's kind of a little grain of truth to it. Because though, she did have something in Florida right. where crazy stuff happened, but she exaggerated the whole thing. And you spend the entire time thinking which part of this is fiction, what is fact. It's a Twitter feed, you know, who goes on Twitter to do this? And that's a very guerrilla style way of posting a creepypasta. That isn't like, go to the site, look up my story. To this person. To me, that's that. To me, that I think sums up what I want creepypasta to be ideal. Is those just those internet campfire stories, those weird things that just kind of float around and you pick up. Um, but that being said, there's a lot of really talented people who have come out and, and written stories, and we have been really honored to work with quite a few of them, uh, both writers and uh, voiceover talent for Midnight Mary Era. But I'm not going to name drop here. Uh, that said, the sort of like crazy things that happen, if you're not careful, you can. They'll just get really silly you, when you're trying to be creepy, and then some people recognize when something is, try, is trying too hard to be creepy, and then they'll just poke fun at it. Case in point, the next story we are about to share with you, after the kind of somber heaviness of that last story, I think we need a little pick-me-up. What do you guys think? <laughs> Alright, so uh, I will not give you the title of this one, though, but uh, um, uh, do not pull down the safety bar, please. We will lower it for you. I recently went on vacation to Disney World with my family. It was a lot of fun, until I went on Splash Mountain. There are a lot of animatronic animals on that ride that sing and dance before you go over a big drop at the end. And although most of these robotic animals are wonderful to watch as you float down the river, there was an animatronic fox that started addressing me by name halfway through the ride. He told me that he was going to marry my dad. He did that five times. I was riding Splash Mountain, and the animatronic fox was doing his pre-programmed speech about how he wanted to catch the animatronic rabbit. The fox said, Now's our chance to sit in traffic with Rare Rabbit! 
Then it turned and looked me right in the eyes and said, I'm going to marry your dad, Ryan. <laughs> then the fox leaned in real close to my face, which I'm pretty sure it was not programmed to do. And he said, Call me Mrs. Dad, Ryan. I'm going to be your dad's bride on his way. <laughs> Before he could say anything else, I had floated away from him to enjoy the rest of the magic of Splash Mountain. The big drop at the end of Splash Mountain was so fun that I decided to get back in mine and ride it again. <laughs> I was having a blast listening to all the robotic animals sing and move around until the animatronic fox once again turned back to me as I floated past. It started to say, You shut down, let it fool yourself, Braille Man! <laughs> but about halfway through the line, he trailed off, turned around, and said, Welcome back, Ryan. I'm going to marry your religious dad, and the wedding is going to take forever. Everyone's going to talk real slow, and your dad and I are going to kiss a hundred times. Your dad is going to get down on his knees and thank Christ for making his wedding to the robot fox take so long. <laughs> I tried to tell the robotic fox that I didn't want that to happen. <laughs> but I had already floated away from him. I decided not to go on Splash Mountain anymore. But then I remembered how fun the big drop at the end was, and I got back in line. I was hoping the animatronic fox would just do his clockwork movements in pre-recorded lines. But instead, he popped up out of the water in the middle of the ride and said, Enjoy the rest of Splash Mountain, Ryan! After the ride, I told the Disney World employee working the line when it happened, and he just said, Yeah, that sounds bad. But he didn't do anything. I just couldn't stay away from that incredible drop at the end of Splash So I got right back in line. There's an animatronic goose on Splash Mountain who mostly sings and babbles about being careful on rivers. One time, when I was floating past the goose, it stopped swinging, singing, swooped on its metal hinges to face me, and said to me in the fox's voice, Ryan, it's me! It's the fox! I'm going to marry the ever-loving shit out of your dad! Listen to me, Ryan. Our wedding will not have any refreshment. Guests will be permitted to bring one bowl of warm water from home. <laughs> Once I marry your dad, I'm going to become a huge part of your life. Have fun on the big drop! <laughs> then the goose's voice returned to normal and it sang a song about fishing. I don't want to attend a wedding where there is no food. Especially since the fox said it was also going to be very long. I promised myself I would never ride Splash Mountain again. But... On the last day of vacation, the siren song of the big fun drop lured me right back in, into the den of the clockwork fox and his wet carnival of torment. When I got to the animatronic fox, he was standing next to a hastily built animatronic model of my father which sparked and sputtered as he moved back and forth in repetitious motion. 
My log boat stopped right at the sea, which it hadn't done any of the other times before. And the animatronic box started saying things like, Hello, Ryan. You and your dad and I are going to be each other's wives. And you'll have to watch me marry your dad to the window of the church. Because you're not allowed inside, Ryan. <laughs> and then the animatronic model of my dad said, I love marrying the fox more than I love having a son. <laughs> and then it burst into flames. As the ride finally lurched forward on the river, and I floated away from this horrific scene, the fox called after me. I'll see you and your real dad at the wedding, Ryan! <laughs> I tried to call back. Please don't do this! But my voice was drowned out by the sound of the robot porcupine singing about the dangers of being foolhardy. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.